We completely bootstrapped it. We were profitable on the very first day. And now after nine years of building, I guess, real business, you start to realize that it's much more difficult to bootstrap it. And it's like virtually impossible. The first step you need to take is, well, who's going to fund this idea? And you have to wear that hat. I didn't even know that was a thing until like two years ago. This episode, I'm talking to Aaron Spivak, co-founder of Hush Blankets, known for their cooling pillowcases, cooling sheets, and weighted blankets. I actually own a weighted blanket myself. We're going to talk about Aaron's experience on Dragon's Den, number one. Number two, we're going to talk about the recent sale of Hush Blankets over to Sleep Country Canada, basically an iconic sleep brand with a market cap of over a billion dollars. And number three, this is my favorite part, we're going to talk about the early days of Hush Blankets when Aaron was DJing on the side and carpooling just to save money. We'll also try to figure out things like how much money they raised, what actually happened after Dragon's Den, and how much money they spend in marketing per year in 2023 versus when they first started. And if you can't answer a question, like usual, both have to take a shot of hot sauce. You see the light back there. Wish me luck, Martians. Hope you enjoyed this one. Hello, hello, Martians. Welcome back to another episode of Marketing on Mars. Today, super excited. We got the co-founder of Hush Blankets, the Canada's fastest growing sleep brand, Aaron Spivak here. He was on Forbes 30 Under 30. Aaron, thank you so much, man, for coming on the show. Dude, thank you for having me. Oh man, we had a little bit of a, of a <laughs> little bit of a challenge getting you your hot sauce. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we're finally here. Just, just to set the stage a little bit, t tell us a little bit. I I'll give you an intro as well uh, afterwards, but maybe tell, tell, tell the crowd, you know, your journey, where you're from and kind of what, what you're focused on today. Yeah. So, I mean, my name is Aaron Spivak. I'm born and raised in Toronto, even though if you follow me on social, you might see me a lot in the U.S., but I'm born and raised in Toronto. I've played, obviously, because I'm Canadian, I played hockey for 20 years of my life. Uh, which was super fun. Never made it to the big leagues, but I was always intrigued and inspired by the idea of not entrepreneurship. Yet. Yeah, maybe not, not yet. yet. Like, I don't know, maybe yeah. I'll find my way there. But, um, <laughs> you know, I love the idea of entrepreneurship. I was that lemonade stand, like kid, car washes, door knocking, window cleaning. I always just loved the idea of being able to make as much money and build as many things as I'm willing to work for. Uh, when I was 18, I started a company called Revitasize, which is like a cold press juice shop in 2013 with my brothers and my mom. And then more recently, what mm -hmm. people uh, know me for is Hush. And Hush is a started off as the world's most popular weighted blanket brand selling all over the world. We've had a top 10 Canadian Kickstarter of all time. We developed our own proprietary cooling fabric called the Iced Fabric. Since then, we've been on Dragons then. We've launched multiple products outside of weighted blankets, our ice sheets and pillows and mattresses and bed frames. We have over 170 different SKUs now. Uh, so it's quite the jam. Uh, we've got 50 people here in the office and it's been about a five and a half year journey. Uh, yeah, I was grateful to be on Forbes. And uh, last year we were super fortunate. We were able to sell to a company called Sleep Country, which is Canada's mattress firm if you're American, but if you're Canadian like myself, it's like our home, our home brand and we all we all know the jingle. So it was very, uh, very, very special to do that. And 
you know, right now still building out hush, we're fortunate to be agnostic and still be able to go and reach for these big goals. So that's kind of what we're up to right now. Oh man, you just took my entire intro. Like I had a whole <laughs> intro prepared for you. You said everything. I dude. always try to race through that because I'm like, no one actually cares. But uh, yeah. So, so you sold to Sleep Country, I think, was it just last year? Yeah. Or so the end of 2021. Yeah. December, uh, sorry, November of 2021. All right. So Sleep Country, uh, Sleep Country Canada, if, if people don't know, they're probably the largest, the most iconic sleep brand in Canada. They're at about a billion dollar uh, in market cap. Big, big oh, company. Yeah. Uh, so for you to make a deal with them, it, I mean, can you disclose details of, of, of the deal? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, they're a publicly traded company. So a lot of the information is online. Um, they bought... Uh, initially they bought 52% of the business at a $48 million valuation with um, the remaining 48% uh, being broken up into three thirds. So they actually bought a hundred percent of the business, but every year they obtain an additional 16%. And so when I mentioned that we're on this journey, like we have these big goals and it's because we get to, we still own a piece of it, although we sell it every year. Um, it was a deal that we were super excited about because, mm -hmm. you know, we sold at the end of our fourth year. So a lot of people kind of, you, know, if you ever hear me on a stage, it's always like, Oh, you know, they did 48 million in 48 months. Um, not total like per year. And, um, I, I that like, people get me with that. They're like, Oh, we did a hundred million in 10 years. And I'm like, that's <laughs> unbelievable. And they're like, yeah, yeah, adding yeah. Up 10 years worth of sales. But, um, so, you know, like it was, it, it, it definitely like was, we were like just scaling like crazy, but we felt like we had a lot of unfinished business. Like we it was only 48 months and, and the first like 12 months, you don't know anything. So, um, we love the idea of the deal that we can stay on and build something out and kind of finish what we feel at least finish what a lot of unfinished work that we had in place. So that's kind of our deal. And it's been, it's been incredible really the first 16 months, obviously ups and downs, but it's been crazy no complaints on our end. Yeah. I mean, and it's good for sleep country too, because now you're incentivized to continue to grow it. And there's like a natural, you know, pass off handoff to the next eventual leader. So that's, that's great. Um, all right. Before we dive into hush blankets, I have so many questions on how you grew the company, your journey uh, on dragon's den and that whole experience. And then just now, like what are you focused on now and into the future before we dive into all that, we got a little tradition on the show. We start off the show with a shot of hot sauce and you're, you're opening up yours for the first time. Um, and then the, the theme is every single time I ask you a question that you cannot share or you mm -hmm. cannot talk about, lights flash. You got light, lights flashing behind us here. And it's time for, that means it's time for another shot of hot sauce. We'll take another shot. So just as long as you answer everything I ask you. <laughs> I, I door dash this. I don't even know what's in here. So I'm hoping it's not like ghost pepper sauce. But Can you show us? What is that? What is that? Can you show so us? Tabasco. It doesn't. Let me try it actually a little bit. Make sure I'm not dying. It's probably going to. It's going to be sour. Here, I'll do it with you. Let's just start. Yeah, yeah. Let's start do a off. shot to start this oh, off. Oh, shit. How much do you do? Way too much habanero. I'm doing a habanero that I got from Cancun. Okay, here we go. Ready? Cheers. Right. Cheers. 
Oh, oh my God. <coughs> I should have brought water. <coughs> oh my God. I'm dying. I'll be back. I need water. <laughs> I need water. <laughs> oh, God, All right. While we're here, while Aaron's gone, I'm just gonna say a few things oh my about Aaron. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, you're back. That was fast. Yeah, I just I went and grabbed, <laughs> grabbed up. <laughs> oh my god! All right, I was better, telling you, I better answer a lot of questions or everything or oh everything. My oh, all right, all right. All right, sorry. Let's let's dive into it. You, we already okay. talked about the Dragon's Den deal. Um, let's talk a little bit about the company when you guys first started. Obviously, it was a startup, and you have different routes. Um, you started a couple of businesses before with your family. Sounds like you have a very entrepreneurial family, and so you learned a lot. Um, but was the company fully bootstrapped? Did you guys have like a have some money uh, in the beginning that you know family members or friends put together? Like, what was the early journey uh, for Hush for you guys? Yeah, I mean, we we completely bootstrapped it. We were profitable on the very first day. You know, my partner and I, you know, I'm, I've I grew up, you know, didn't really come from a wealthy family. Kind of had to scrap, you know, things together. I mean, even when I was playing hockey, like training every summer is eight grand. Where am I getting eight grand to play to pay for training? So I'd figure it out. You know, you teach kids, you get as scrappy as possible, you carpool, negotiate better deals, whatever you need to do to to make the eight thousand dollars. And you know, when it came to starting a business, and now like after nine years of of building, I guess, real business, um, you start to realize that it's much more difficult to bootstrap it, and it's like virtually impossible. And almost the first step you need to take is, well, who's going to fund this idea? And you have to wear that hat. And I've, it, to me, like, I didn't even know that was a thing until like two years ago. Honestly, I had no idea that like people, like that's why you raise. I always yeah. thought that people raise to take money off the table. I never thought like to raise, to start a business. So you know, in my opinion, there was no other chance. It was this, like, the only way to start this business was to be profitable, was to have it make more than it spends on the very first day and to scale it. And I live and die on deciding what my profit's going to be. And, and you know, the more profit I want to make, the less I'll scale and vice versa. And that's how I always viewed business. I viewed business as like, hey, you know, if I can make $50 profit per order, you know, what does my life look like if I make $5 profit per order? Like, what's the scale I can achieve? And I just live in that zone. Even till today, we still live in that zone. We've, you know, we've been very fortunate. I'm knocking on wood, never lost money. And it's for a lot of people, it's like, how's that even possible? Like we're going to lose money for X amount of time. I understand it. Like I totally get it. Um, but for us, it, there was just no alternative. It was bootstrap or don't start a business. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I read a lot into different types of businesses and, and for the D to C, uh, you know, product-based businesses, they're the hardest. The margins are so tight. And for you to become profitable, I read somewhere that it takes between five to seven years to even become profitable for most D2C brands. 
And for you guys to be profitable right off the bat, that's incredible. Tell us how you did it. Like what, what made Hush so different from all the other DTC brands that come in the market and are struggling? Like how do you break through the noise? How do you, how do you do it? Typically I, I, I give the merry go round on this answer, but my mouth is on fire right now. So listen, the, the, tr- the absolute truth is, and, and this is like, you know, I've probably consult with, you know, five to 10 ongoing people, some because I love them and I'm passionate about it. Some because I get paid for it. And the, the, the <laughs> truth, the, the real truth is it's, people are not willing and you hear this all the time and it's only, it's only cliche. If you think it is, they're just not willing to, to do put in the work. Like I, I was, we were doing, you know, 12 in our second, yeah. In our second year, we were pacing close to $10 million. Okay. And we had three staff. We were profitable at a 20% margin. We were taking wow. zero salary, zero, because we wanted to put it all back into the business and scale it because we had bigger goals. Yeah. People then go, well, how did you fund your life? Did someone pay for it? It's like, no, I scaled down my life as much as possible. I needed like 2,200 bucks or something like that a month to live. And I would DJ on the weekends. I literally DJed a party and the guy's like, Yo, I just saw you on Dragon's Den. Like, what are you doing DJing? Like, what? <laughs> Didn't you guys like just get a deal? Aren't you like making all this money? And it's just like, it doesn't matter. Like, I'll do whatever That's it crazy. takes, like anything it takes to not strangle my business and not leech it. And by the way, I was 23, 24. Depends where you are in your life. And you and some people don't lean into the fact that they're in their early 20s and they don't have kids and a mortgage and a house. Like those things, those are serious things. You can't be DJing on the weekend to pay for your kids' food. So it's also like understanding where you're at in your life. And I knew like we had competitors come. We had 70,000 active competitors at one point selling weighted blankets. But I knew the margin and I knew how low I can go because I didn't need it to pay my rent. I didn't need six, seven K out of my business. Right. Like I knew that I can drive the growth through being as lean as possible on my end. And typically people are just not willing. They were not even willing to bet on themselves. So many times I speak to founders and it's like, okay, we need to raise this. And I'm like, I'm looking at the table and I'm like, why do you need 60 K a year right now? It's like, Oh, well I got this and this and this. And it's like, you're not even willing to bet on yourself for one year. Like you're not willing to eat shit for one year and you want someone to invest all this money. So for me, it's, it's, Typically, it makes sense to me, the bootstrap model. And uh, there's no better feeling than seeing a founder get scrappy as shit and put things together and call in favors and make it happen and then just hit growth goals. And then for me, that's what I love to see. And oftentimes, people are just not not willing to, to really do what it takes. Okay. So you're eating shit for two years. <laughs> You should add that on your resume, though. That like that's in, insane. Uh, the fact that you're at ten million dollars, two million dollar profitability, and you're still DJing on the weekend, mad respect. I mean, like you said, you're 23 years old at the time, no family, no mortgage, no 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 debt. So you can you can afford to do that. Okay, so that's that's prof that's on the profitability end. Great, but what about just making the sales? 
how did you guys do that so quickly and ramping up so quickly? Like, what do you think was this? What, what was the secret sauce? I saw you made a post recently that like your life, your life motto is just like, do things that challenge yourself, that challenge you. And that's kind of like your life motto. But what do you think was a secret sauce? Like if you were to go back and just like watch Aaron building Hush, like what, what allowed you to grow yeah. scale to 10 million in revenue? I, 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 me personally, I, I'm turned off by, by people who invent inventors, people who are, are the first to do things. Um, you know, you see it a lot in the restaurant space. It's always a third or fourth or fifth restaurant in that spot that actually makes any money. Uh, I love innovation through iteration. It's like, yes. I get so excited yes. about it. You see so many yes. brands that have done it over and over and over again. Like, you know, you've seen the dude wipes guys do it. Like so many people have just taken something that is already proven that people already buy that there's existing demand for, and they just made it a little bit better, they innovated it, it through iterating the existing product that people already love. And then people then will gravitate toward that. So we did exactly that. I went on Google and we saw there was at the time, 300,000 searches for weighted blankets in America a month. There's 300,000. There was maybe a handful of sellers. We bought every single one of them on, on the internet. They were too big, too small, impossible to wash. The weight would shift around. The distribution was off. All the weight would be on your feet. You'd move throughout the night. All the beads would sound like a rain stick turned over. It was the worst experience of your life. But it didn't change the fact that 300,000 people wanted it. And these guys were selling. So yeah. we knew if we innovated on this product, took care of all those simple issues, and then competed, we would be able to service the industry way better. And that's exactly what we did. And when we launched, we sold out literally on day three because we called out those pain points. We, we provided the solutions. And then when we went through our first summer and we made no sales, we were like tripping. We're like, oh my God. Like we went from like 80 to 100K months in literally our first month, which is like unheard of, to $4,000 months in July and August. It got to the point where my co-founder called me. He's like, listen, Aaron, amazing business. I love it, but I'm not interested in seasonal businesses. Let's sell the rest of the inventory and, and call it a day. And then I was like, wait a second, let's just like, we have 2,500 customers at this point. I'm like, let's just like send out an email. Let's call them all. Let's just ask them like, yo, you bought three months ago. You're not buying anymore. What happened? And, mm -hmm. you know, thousand hours later, calling, emailing back and forth, multiple months, we realized that every single person said the exact same thing. They're like, yo, amazing product, amazing blanket. We love the brand. We love you guys. The service is incredible. We're like, amazing, amazing. Why are you not buying? They're like, well, it's too hot. It's 30 degrees outside. I'm sweating in areas I've never sweat before. Your blanket's sitting in a closet right now. I'll take it back out in the winter. And it yeah. was like a light bulb moment. And we're like, oh my God, no one's, everyone wants a way to blanket, but nobody wants to sweat. So when that's when we went out and we developed our own proprietary fabric called the iced fabric that keeps you cool all throughout the night, actually without weird sprays and toxic chemicals just through a way that we weave specific fabrics. And because we had to weave our own fabric and we needed tens of thousands of yards of it, we took it to Kickstarter and launched the Hush Iced Blanket, um, which became a top 10 Canadian campaign of all time. Without guessing, there was no trick on Kickstarter. We didn't do some weird marketing hack. We just met the demand with what it wanted. 
do you guys run a lot of ads early days? Cause like those during that period of time, ads, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, they were still very, they were still effective at that time. You can still get good ROAS at that time. Nowadays, a little bit harder. Was that a huge part of the strategy for you guys? Like yes and no. I think like, like we definitely scaled through pay social, but like we're still scaling on, on Facebook. I think what happens, what happens typically for, for many, many brands um, is you don't know your numbers. And when you don't know your numbers, I mean, you think you know your numbers, you do the mental math, like you have your spreadsheets, but you need to really know your effective MER. I don't want to get too nerdy here, but like you need to really know what goes out of one cups in the vending machine. Like if you put a dollar in and you get $3 back, is that enough? Right. And typically what happens is people toggle, they, they toggle the money that goes in the vending machine instead of the vending machine itself. And for us, it was always about the vending machine. It's like, okay, we know that we want to go like this. And I've never seen an ad account or a brand for that matter, go like this and their ad spend stay flat. It always kind of goes with it. And if you're lucky, it'll go up a little bit. It'll come down a bit, but it has to go with it. So knowing that an only way to grow is to spend more then and then everyone has the same challenge. Well, if I spend more, my efficiency goes out the window. Then what do we need to do? We need to tweak the vending machine. So we were always head over heels with our storytelling. We always wanted to wrap people into who we are, what we stand for. We documented as much as possible. We showed people the good, bad, and the ugly. We gave people an inside look of what we're doing at Hush, why they should join us on our mission. Then we layered in uh, creative that was tested to a T like a creative department that is constantly testing, constantly tweaking We're active on our comments and we're constantly finding ways to retell our story. Sometimes the same story told 10 different ways to resonate with our customers to then get the efficiency we want. And for us, we were lucky. We were able to like have our Kickstarter that, you know, had that whole audience and we layered in dragons. Den. so we had a lot of things supporting our marketing pool, but for us, it was, all driven through paid media, but it was through the creative that we were able to continue to spend more without losing efficiency. All right. So talking about numbers, we mentioned you're at already $10 million in, in, in revenue by year two. You're now in year nine, right? Or seven or nine. Year, year five and a half of, of hush, nine of, of business. Nine of business, five and a half. Okay. Year five and a half. Where are we at, at right now in terms of revenue for Hush? I gotta take a shot of, uh, of oh. shit right now. Okay, here we go. Uh, here we go. Here we go. This was like a year ago, I'd be able to say. But now you can't. Oh, right, because of uh, mm-hmm. the acquisition. You gotta wait for the quarterly update. Because of Uncle right. Sam. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, cheers. Oh God. Oh my God. No. It's just so hot. I don't even know what it is, man. Uh, All right. Okay. So, um, 
Uh, <laughs> oh man, it's, like, it's just stuck right here. Uh, you can't talk about revenues this year. Can you talk about revenues from last year? Um, twenty. Can't talk about revenues no, at I can all? only talk twenty-one. I can only talk. I can talk twenty-two. And by tw- at twenty-one, what was the revenue? By at twenty-one. Twenty. Uh, twenty-one. Uh, was we did wow. With it 20 and 20 time, I think we're at 44. 44 mil? 44, 48, I think. In that range. Are we like higher or now or lower than 21? Uh, last year was lower. This year, we're going to smash that. All right. So probably around 50 mil. <laughs> Blink once. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking I about. I don't know what I revenue know. I don't know. What are revenues? What are revenues again? Could be five. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So storytelling. I agree. Super important, especially nowadays. In order to stand out from the D to C world and just in products in general, just it's so hard to stand out just from the value prop alone and what you're offering. Because there's already so many products out there. But it's a storytelling. Talk to us about storytelling in the early days of Hush, right? Because the platforms were different. LinkedIn, for example, was not as hot now as uh, was not as hot back then as now. Mm. What platforms did you use to tell your story back 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 then, and what about now? Has that changed a little bit? There, there's a famous quote from I think it's Seth Seth Godin. Seth Godin. Seth Godin. Seth Godin, Seth Godin. Right? So people do not buy goods and services; they buy relations, stories, magic. Yeah. And and we live by that. You know, like no one gives any shit about the product always. I mean, you can get it anywhere. It's yeah. all about the feeling. And and we all as humans, it's like something that like we force, not force, but we encourage everybody to to pay attention to here, at least at Hush, and like what I love <laughs> about like the reason why I go on social in the first place is because I'm constantly paying attention to humans and how we interact and why we say things. And I'm questioning like, why did they do that? And why did that person, you know, approach this conversation in that way? And I'm always curious because so much of what we do and what we spend our money on and where we live and who we love and it's based on an emotion and that, that feeling that we get or that we think we're going to get. And, uh, there's one thing that's true in my opinion that every human has is we love thinking that we're doing good for somebody else. We love it. It's just is what it is. It's something about it. It's, it's the reason why when you're in a good mood, you tip more than when you're not in a good mood is when you're in the mood to support another individual, you want to do it. But if you buy from, you know, if I buy a can of Coke, I, I don't really know who I'm supporting. So I, like, I either need to either want the Coke or not. And if Pepsi was there, I would, Exactly. I just don't, I don't know who I'm supporting, but in this world where if you go to Whole Foods and you look at the fridge and there's a bajillion colors of pink and like green and yellow and you're like, but then there's a brand and you're like, wait a second, that guy's got a cool story. And I, you know, I was with, with a friend of mine at a Whole Foods like two weeks ago in New York and I went to grab something and he's like, you should try this. This guy like was on a mountain for six months. And like, I was like, what, what, what? They told me this whole life story. And I'm like, dude, I just want to water. And he's like, no, like this one, this guy like spent months on a mountain, like testing dehydration. I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Like the magic behind the bottle. If we can get just a, just a moment 
with that physical thing that attaches us to that feeling of supporting someone that we resonate with. It's the same reason why people donate. It's just all comes back to that. So the way to separate yourself is of course, have a product that delivers because if, if you have this heroic feeling and I want to support this guy and then you, you whatever you send me breaks, kind yeah. of breaks, it breaks the momentum. So aside from the product, you, we need to make people feel attached uh, to whatever they're buying. So the story has remained consistent, right? Your, your, your story that you're telling has remained consistent, but maybe the platform has changed. Or the platform. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we, try to be, we try to be everywhere, but like you want to meet the customers where they're at and not force the customers always to meet you. You know, a, a big word that was thrown around last year in the marketing space or in e com was community. And community was just everyone's uh, excuse for not being able to convert new customers. So it's like, oh, I don't need to worry about new customers. I'm going to worry about my current customers. And that was just a. a for me, a, a cop out for inability to acquire new customers. The reality is, is community has always been a thing. It's never going oh, away. And it's yeah. so, so, so important. People don't understand community. They view community as how many followers do we have? Or many people like our posts and stuff like that. But yeah. for me, community is how many people are willing to take a little bit of time out of their day to spend a thought on you consistently. And what can you do to provide for that community? And for us, like we you know, we're, we're a brand. We have a Facebook group. We're very active in our email. We do two-way email, two-way SMS all the time. Uh, we reach out. We call. Like we're, we're actually working on some new products today. We're testing out new fabrics. We're reaching out to customers who've either supported us multiple times, have been around for a while, and say, hey, we're working on this new, cu- this new fabric. What do you think? Like, Is there a color you specifically want? Is there a feel that would intrigue you? And... You know, the best example that I come across, I have this coffee shop down the street from where I live and I go get a coffee every day before I come to the office. And then like a year ago, I would go and I would get an avocado toast from another place. So I get a coffee and then I get an avocado toast. And I was in my head, I was like, I don't really like this avocado toast guy so much. It kind of gives me dirty looks. And it's also like a week, I got an extra 10 minutes out of my day. So I went to the coffee shop owner. I was like, hey, if you just add avocado toast to your menu, I will buy it. And then you make more money. And I left. Three days later, I come and I see avocado toast on the menu. I buy it, obviously. It was like the worst avocado toast I've ever had in my entire life. But I felt like I had, like that was, I felt like I had a responsibility to serve this guy. I started bringing my friends. I'm like, yo, everyone, let's meet up. Let's have a coffee meetup at this coffee place. Let's buy the toast. Everybody buy the toast. And eventually, it's actually made it better since last year. But why did I do that? I didn't make any money. I still had to pay for it. Didn't even give it to me for free. Like, why did I do that? And I did it is because I had a say, I had a small Mm. say and people forget to bring their customers into the fold. If, if, if Simon, if you told me that you loved a specific color of sheet, like you're just like, yo, no one's made this charcoal space gate, gray, black or whatever. And I then launch it. And like sets you feedback along the way. Like, Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of just photos, thumbs up, thumbs down, like no time. You're then now a part of it and you're a part of it probably forever. You probably never buy a sheet from anyone ever again. And the question is, how do we do that with everyone? And it's, it's possible and people are doing it. We just need to pay attention. All right. We're going to dive into that. But first I'm going to quickly recap. We talked about a, a bunch of different uh, channels that you guys are uh, uh, that are you guys are using. Paid talked about 
community a little bit, yeah. which we'll dive into, which I would love to dive into. Uh, two-way emailing, SMS. What other channels are you guys using right now for, for marketing? Uh, in terms of, I mean, we do a lot of out of home stuff. So you can see, you'll see us on billboards, you'll see us on TV and radio. Um, okay. You know, we're on Reddit. Like, it's just where we're really on every channel that we can, you know, see a lift or, or an impact. Okay, cool. Um, and so, how much is your guys' uh, marketing budget? And I'm gonna have my hot sauce ready just in case. Uh, uh, how much fine number. I actually don't know the fine number, but I know that we're we're spending um we're spending north of eight figures a year for sure. So that is like ten mil, twelve mil, thirteen mil kind of. At least, yeah. At least. Okay. All right. That that that's an answer. I don't I don't see any lights flashing. <laughs> I actually don't so know I that. I don't know that. <laughs> I think we're good. I think we're good. But that makes about that makes sense. You guys are you guys are probably roughly around forty something, fifty mil um in in revenue. So you know, 10, 12 mil, that would be like about a twenty five percent marketing budget. Twenty five percent of confirm or deny, but you're yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got math. You, right. got math. you know math. I don't tell you. <laughs> quick math. We got quick math there. All right. So, uh, so we got, so we got a few, we got a few channels paid. Let's talk about paid a little bit. Um, you guys are doing some paid stuff, uh, ads. Where are you guys spending most of your paid, uh, advertisement budgets? Well, we're in a unique space, right? We sell commodities, beds, pillows, mattresses, frames, weighted blankets, sheets, right? So, you know, in, in our space, the bottom, the, the, the bottom of the floor is the highest intent, probably the most competitive. That's where people yeah. go. Oh, and like, you know, you don't, it's very rare to get convinced to buy a pillow today. It's more likely that you think you need a new pillow. And then you go on Google and you ask Google to deliver you a pillow and it does. Um, so we compete very heavily on Google for sure, because it's where a lot of the, um, the winning is done, but we've always achieved additional scale through Meta, and uh, Meta's been it's been good to us for for a long time. We know it really well. We've we've built our brand there. Um, we haven't. We've seen tremendous scale with TikTok over the last mm. uh, yes. year. But you know, if you, if you look at it as a platform itself, it's tremendous scale. If you look at it in comparison to what we're doing on other platforms, it's still it's still baby, you know, baby scale and not, not turning off or diverting spend anywhere else to, to go all in on TikTok, but definitely scaling TikTok as its own, own silo as attribution gets a little bit better. And also the, the attention that's there is starting to do, you know, going away from Charlie D'Amelio doing a backflip and more into educational and people looking to buy things. Yeah. What is your uh, percentage, like the breakdown of, your marketing spend between TikTok, Meta, and Google right now. Oh, I don't and know. Then also, I and then you also uh, have like out of home stuff. So maybe yeah. So the out of home, the out of home stuff is seasonal for sure. So it's yeah. it, it definitely creeps into a percentage, but then backs back out to, to relatively zero. Um, I would say we're probably probably splitting between Facebook and Google. Uh, and then 
I wouldn't say more than 10% of, of it goes to TikTok. And then between all the other ones, probably probably split 10%. So I would say probably 80% between the, the two heavyweights. So 45% on Facebook, 45% on Google. 40 and 40, I would say, yeah. 40, 40. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it looks like Facebook and Google are still outperforming TikTok. Sh- can you share some numbers yeah. that you're seeing? Like what's, what's like a cost per acquisition CPA <sighs> on Facebook or the cost <sighs> per click Facebook, Google versus TikTok? I don't know the cost per click. I know the CPMs. Um, CPMs on, on Facebook are probably they fluctuate between like four and eight bucks, um, which is really good. When iOS hit, I think it was approaching 10. So we've finally mm-hmm. come back down. Uh, and then TikTok's fantastic, man. It's like a dollar to $3 CPMs. Um, yeah. It's fantastic. TikTok's the lowest. Yeah, sure. TikTok is, is, is great. It's just... Um, it's different. And I think for a lot of media buyers who don't have a strong flow of creative built, it's one of those platforms that the creative is, is not only crucial, it's crucial in all of them, but it's, it dies so much faster at such a small extent. So, yeah. Yeah. And do you find like, uh, and then what about Google? So Facebook's around four to eight CPM. And what about Google? Oh, I don't know because there's so many different campaigns and so many like CPMs range depending on what it is. But I, I would say it's around the same as, as, as Google, but that's more on a CPC basis, but then it's depending on the ad campaign. I would say it's like, it could be a buck to five bucks, depending on, on what campaign, um, we're targeting. Yeah. But in my space, it's very competitor heavy. So you got to be like yeah. an assassin uh, with your Google dollars. Yeah. Now, with a lot of the D2C, not just D2C, but also the B2B founders and CMOs that come on the show, the trend is that everyone is cutting back on their Facebook spend, putting more towards Google and testing on TikTok a little bit, and even pushing some of the budget over to other areas because of the iOS updates and everything that reduced a lot of Facebook spend for many, many companies. What, what has your experience been with Facebook? I think last year was, that was the story for sure. I mean, Facebook just had nothing. So you're just burning cash by giving it. But I think this year, a lot has turned around for Facebook. I'm, I think the app itself, like forget the app, I think the app itself is going to see a, a resurgence. I mean, we just saw threads launch yesterday and you yep. know, like I, I went off on threads cause I was just like, if you like, how can anyone doubt Zuck? Like this, sure. You can say MySpace created social media, but this guy created and built the way we interact socially on the internet. It's, it's, it's like if Steve yeah. jobs was still alive and he like said, like how to, you would like fade Apple. Like it just doesn't make any sense. So, yeah. um, and I've been saying it all the way as his stock went down to 80 and all the way as it's almost three X since like, like I, I just don't understand the, long-term fade. I understand the short-term adjustment people need to do to make sure their business doesn't go out of business. But you know, I'm, I'm long on Facebook as an app, as a platform, as a, as a place to advertise. Um, we're not going anywhere. I mean, we've, we've scaled 
considerably on the platform this year. But I think 21 post iOS, post COVID, post no more money, post stock crashing, macro, like there were so many factors to why your ads weren't working. And I think to blame one thing, uh, it was just disproportionately unfair and also might show a lack of understanding of, of human psychology and how we like to spend. Like I, I was buying less. So um, I'm bullish, yeah, I'm lot, bullish on the platform. Yeah, yeah, I'm just bullish on the platform. I think if you're going to make money anywhere on the internet and you're not an incredible TikTok creator who can pump out viral videos on a regular basis, which most people are not, your best chance at seeing scale is is through Meta and, and through Google, depending on what you sell, but definitely through Meta. Yeah. And now it seems like you guys are like content. You guys are like a content machine. I mean, you personally, <laughs> your personal LinkedIn, if you guys... You guys listening have not checked out Aaron's LinkedIn. You're posting like every other day. Like you're you're yeah. active on there. Uh, how talk to us about the content uh, team that you have put together? Like what is that? What does that team look like? We're like a team of six, um, which will probably be eight back to eight in house. Um, which consists of, you know, Meta and Google buyers, TikTok buyers, uh, multiple video editors, uh, creative director, um, and, and a head of social. And then we have a, a head of growth that manages the team. Mm. So we'll be at eight very shortly. And, you know, the team is, is a lot of them come from an agency background. So there's obviously been a shift of like agency talent wanting to work on one brand instead of getting yelled at from 15 different brands. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of built like an agency in-house, which is really nice because it's cool to see a professional like not bounce around from brand to brand and just like stay on one brand and one niche for a minute and really think their process through. And um, we've seen huge benefit from like really cutting out agencies as much as possible. And yep understanding that we can use agencies when we need and then also to pull in and pull out. And, um, that's our team is not only in the office and, and in Toronto, but really, uh, impressive to me, at least it's, it's been hard to build, but cool to see once it comes together. Oh my God. Uh, I totally agree with you. I came from agency background 2017, <laughs> 2017 to 2019 and holy shit. Like that, that agency, grew from when I joined, they were like sub 1 million. It grew to about 20, $20 million. And I was like, I was the most stressed. Like my stress level was the highest that it's ever been in my whole life. And like, I, I nearly burnt out. Like every single day waking up, like I was breathing, like I said, felt like I was only at four, breathing at 40% oxygen or something. something. I don't know. Yeah, man. Shortness of breath, don't, don't tight, chest, tight chest. Yeah. I know what it's like. Oh man, it was tough. And so like now being able to focus on one thing, like one brand and then now doing stuff on the side for my own personal brand that elevates the brand that I'm working on, it makes so much more sense. And I, I think a lot of people, I'm seeing that trend happening as well. Um, all right. Let's go into when we connected last time, you had a couple of things that you that we talked about that I felt were a little bit spicy. So I kind of want to dive into that a little bit. You mentioned that a, you feel a lot of brands just don't understand their finances. And I think I know you talked about that right off the bat of, on this interview as well. You talked 
right away you talked about margins and profitability and everything. What, what makes you feel that most other brands don't understand their finances? And that, that's part one. And part two, like how can leaders and owners understand their finances better? Like what does it take? I think it's just asking a lot of questions and not uh, making assumptions. And I feel like if you're a single SKU brand, it's quite easy. It's okay. I pay 20 bucks for this. We sell it for a hundred. 20% like, but there's always little things and depending on who you're working with on an accounting side, you know, accounting is, is viewed and calculated much differently um, depending on where you live. So, and, and your finances can affect the way you feel. So, you know, sometimes you can get a PNL from your accountant that says one thing and if it says amazing things, you feel amazing and you just move on. Right. But if it says terrible things and you feel sad and, the right way to operate is to really understand your numbers, every cost, right? And there's so many times where I speak to a founder and it's like, well, you know, charges us 20, you know, 120. And then I added my shipping and, you know, then my, my CPA is 40 and it's like, okay, so I'm making $30 profit. And it's like, well, you didn't add, add in the shot, the credit card fees and you didn't add in the storage and you didn't add in like your overhead. And it's like, because you're not selling enough, you're actually not making any money. And it's like, oh my God, what? Like, what's my break even? So it's just really not being in it. Like, I have no accountant. I didn't even I didn't even go to school. I didn't graduate school. But it's just asking enough questions to the point and understanding what is my true cost and where is my true break even. Mm. And it also lets you yeah. know like when you can push. You know, I remember our our first ever Christmas, we had an 11 ROAS, 11 times ROAS. And I was like the cockiest guy in the world. And I went to someone who had a really, really big agency. And I was like, you know, buddy, we got 11 ROAS. And he looked at me and he's like, you're the dumbest guy I've ever met in my entire life. He's like, why would you have 11 X ROAS? You know, you can probably like double your business out of five X ROAS and still make like, he said, what are you doing? And I was like, Oh my God, I never thought of it that way. And I didn't understand that's how you, this works. So, you know, it's understanding your numbers to the point where you know when to lean in and go harder and to pull back and you'll understand your trends better. And it doesn't require for you to be a mathematician. It just requires you to be curious and to ask a lot of questions and you'll always, always, always get the answer and never assume. It's like the killer of every founder is they assume they know they should always double check and know for sure. And things change so quickly, mm-hmm. right? 11 ROAS was possible seven years ago, seven, eight years ago. Now you're lucky if you're getting 2X ROAS, 3X ROAS sometimes, right? Depending on the product. At one of the founders that came on the podcast early on, uh, they're selling a tongue scraper, Mm. scraping gunk off your tongue. And uh, they were doing, their their, uh, CPA was like a dollar. CPA and they're selling the product. They're selling the product at, at 20 something dollars. So they're getting 20 X on the, on their, uh, on their return. So like, that's amazing. Talk, talked again, four months later, their CPA went up to $17. Mm. Oh, that's brutal. Mm. Right. And, and what happened was, uh, um, Google changed their algorithm Facebook and Facebook as well. Changed the algorithm a little bit. And, and more people started coming into the tongue scraper space because they saw that they were doing well. And so competition increased, CPC increased, CPA increased. 
we're kind of in a little bit of a recession as mm-hmm. well. So people are holding their, their, their wallets tighter. So a lot of different factors, but now their CPA doesn't make sense anymore. And so like if the, if the founder didn't think about different channels, now they're on a, on a separate channel that's way more profitable. If they just kept going down this rabbit hole of Google and thinking that it will turn around or starting to hire agencies to try to figure things out without knowing their numbers properly, they would have lost money. Like, yeah, oh, they would and have the lost fact that they money. know their numbers dead through the second things change, they're able to make a pivot instead of beat a dead horse. It's so, so yeah. true. It's, it's, it's an unlock to every entrepreneurial, every business in the world. It's ones who knows their numbers are able to make quality decisions. Yeah. And I think so much of that is like, you didn't uh, grow up in a really, um, you know, wealthy family. Mm-hmm. And so you had to think about your finances very tight. So when you started your business, your business became your baby, right? Yeah. And so you, you treat, yeah, you treat your baby the way that you would have treated your own wallet, right? How much of that do you think holds true? It's very true, man. I was always worried about my money uh, going to lunch and shit. I didn't want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I wanted to buy the calf. You know, that's six bucks a day. I got to figure it out. So mow someone's lawn when I get home. I got money for the week. So that's exactly how it was. It's amazing. I kind of want to dive into it. I had a couple of other questions. Actually, no. Um, what's the LTV of a customer? I've always wanted to know that because blankets, you're probably not... You're buying maybe once every, I don't know how many years, what the, the, the cycle is. And then pillows as well. Do you know that? What, is there an LTV for your customer? Do you know that number? There is. It's usually about 2x, but we don't... The reason why I, I don't love LTV, our AOVs around four or 500 bucks. LTVs around 2x. Um, but I don't like LTV calcs because uh, I feel like it's dangerous for a lot mm. of marketers who start to like market to their LTV number. It's like, mm. it doesn't make sense. So I, 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 it's good to know, but it's, you know, if you're, when you run on an MER model, your, your current net new customers and your past customers are, are, are all blended into one bucket of revenue. Uh, and if you're judging your marketing performance based on one bucket, LTV is in there already. So if you separate it, you can get into a dangerous trap because LTV is also dictated by your pipeline of products. So if I launch three new products this year, my LTV is going to go up because a lot of my old customers are going to buy again. If I launch no products this year, my LTV is going to go down. But if I marketed last year based on my old LTV, then last year's marketing is wrong. So I think L- yeah. I think LTV works for a brand like AG1 or like a one product brand subscription based like that's where you want to go LTV uh C like those those type of CPG based products uh I don't think uh non consumable multi skew high catalog product yeah. it's very dangerous like I can you imagine if like like a Walmart did an LTV calc it's like impossible so it's like I don't understand why. Yeah. 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 No. But uh, when Sleep Country was purchasing you guys, did they look at LTV to CAC ratios? Did they look at that at no. all? No. 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 I don't think that, that that would have been. I mean, it would have been good, but I don't think it would be a real. It wouldn't be something that we look at, so it wouldn't matter. What's your What's your guys's um, like uh, return on ad spend, ROAS nowadays on 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 
different uh, uh, it we don't look at it from a per channel basis because every channel lies um so we What's your we best look, channel our best channel um it's probably facebook Depending on the day, it's probably Facebook. I mean, email is the best channel, but in terms of new, yeah. net new customers, it's always. Uh, what's the and what's the yeah. ROAS for for Facebook? I don't know. What is the ROAS for know. Facebook? You do know. You just don't want to share it. All right, we got the flashing lights. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Okay, oh let's, do it. let's do it. Oh no. And I really, there's a new segment that I really want to test out with you. Okay. Um, oh, we tested out with a few, few CMOs. Okay. And I just think the vibe is fun. Okay. We'll take a shot of this first. The vibe is fun. Um, well, well, before we move on, um, I think we're, we're almost at the end. You got, okay. you got to get going in, in a few minutes. Yeah. Okay. Um, just want to dive into your background a little bit and then, and then we'll do the fun segment. So you mentioned that you grew up kind of, you know, not in a really uh, wealthy family. What, what was it like growing up? Family of five boys. My two parents immigrated from Israel in their late twenties with three kids under the age of four, like didn't really speak the language. Um, you may younger brother were born here. So like, you know, we, my parents, obviously scrappy immigrants, figured it out. Five young boys, a lot to handle. Um, so, you know, I got to see my parents grind and work hard for whatever they were able to build. But, um, you know, that immigrant mentality is, you never know, right? You can never get too comfortable when things are good. And you can never get too down yourself when things are bad. You just got to go to work. So that's kind of how we were raised and the way we grew up and, you know, it's kind of been instilled in us to, to get to work and get after it. And, uh, you know, you eat what you kill kind of thing. So it's, uh, engraved in us. Yeah. I don't know if there's like a percentage, like if there, there might be a percentage, a studies out there somewhere on successful founders between the age of 30 to 40 and, or like 25 to 35. And, I can't imagine the like the percentages are probably heavily skewed towards immigrants because they have the fighter mentality and they're so they they think about the numbers a lot because they had to they grew up in a household where the parents were struggling to just put food on the table like that like that's that, that was my family growing up they were also mm -hmm. immigrants from Vietnam and China and so it was just like wow. yeah like it's uh you you get it's that you, yeah and 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 there's like, you can't teach that, right? Can't teach it. It's like uh, inherent trauma. <laughs> it just comes it's in our soul. It's in the DNA, you know? So it's, it's the, you take the good, bad, and the ugly, but one of those things that are good is that you, you know, it's just, we know how to get to work. What about nowadays? What, what's life like, now, like for you now? I mean, now, now you're doing... Yeah, you're doing really well. Sold the company. Has life changed for you much? Like, do you think that you've you've changed your how you view money and everything, or everything is the same, just different amount of digits in your bank account? <laughs> um, I mean, I definitely view money differently. Um, I don't have a scarcity mindset like I used to. Um, 
I now understand how abundant the world is and um, and it's not player versus player. I always viewed as life as player versus player. Is I'm going to get the money or you are. Yeah. I don't view it like that. I feel like we can all get it. And yeah. there's more than enough for everybody. And, you know, I, I still wake up every morning and, and think it's all going to go to zero and it's all going to evaporate. And I still have that like feeling of nothing's really changed there. I don't, um, I don't spend and buy disproportionately more than I ever bought before. I'm still, you know, pretty low key and frugal. I mean, I wear clothing that I get for free, like this Instagram shirt. Instagram shirt? <laughs> yeah. Like stand I stand up, stand up. Yeah. This is in, in, in the spirit of uh, threads launching today. I wanted to support oh, Zuck, you know, there you go. and um, you know, I just, I just, I just don't think, I don't think that anything needed to change because I wasn't unhappy with, with what I, the way I operated, the way I thought before. But I think for sure it's a nice calming feeling to know that uh, I could take care of my parents, um, you know, who immigrants typically don't have strong retirement plans. So when that time comes and I could be there to support friends or family if they need to, and hopefully they don't, but it's, it's cool to know that, um, you know, it's, although I'm still crazy hungry and, and not much changes in the way I feel in the back of your mind, it definitely is better to know that, um, you could support yourself if you need to and, or support others if you need to. Do you have a plan after, after? Uh, oh, honestly, I don't. I mean, I, I love, I love the game. I love being in it. I love, I love talking to people like yourself. I love building businesses. I like new shit. Um, I like to have fun. So it's like, you know, back to my like LinkedIn post, if I can just do things that are super challenging and tough and build them, whether it be a physical challenge, a mental, a business, uh, with really cool people that give me energy and, and, and are just solid through and through, then, uh, I would do that every day. And for the rest of my life, that's a perfect day for me. So I'm sure there'll be more of something. I just don't know what it is. Uh. It sounds like you, I mean, you're, you're so good at storytelling and you're you, like, you, you walk into a, a coffee shop and you're telling them to, to add avocado to their, <laughs> to like, it's just like, you're so much about the people. I feel mm-hmm. like maybe that, I mean, there might be something there, right? Maybe it's all it's about the there. people, man. Okay. We got last, you got a couple of minutes for this last, this last little bit of the, the show. Let's do it. Okay. So I'm going to. I'm going to tell you a few jokes. Okay. okay. And if you successfully not laugh at the jokes, then I'll take a shot of hot sauce. But if you laugh at any of them, you're going to take a shot. I will tell you three <laughs> jokes. Okay. okay. All right. You got to hold it in. All right. I got to hold it in. All right. Um, tell you the first one. Uh, so the other day, uh, my girlfriend and myself, we were watching three movies back to back. And I was just lucky that I was the one facing the TV. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Nothing there. All right. All right. No biting. All right. Second one. Okay. It's a good Second one, though. One. I like that one. That was, that was a good one. Um, yeah. I had to think about it, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, this next one. Okay. Got the next one. Um, I was addicted to the hokey pokey. And then I just turned myself around. 
right. If you don't laugh at this one, okay. I'll, I'll still take the shot with you. It's the okay. one last, one last shot. All right. All right. Uh, how how did the marketer? Uh, how did the, the the dad know that the daughter was destined to be a marketer? Oh, her first word was data. All right, all right, all right. You get you. Get. Oh, hold that one in. <laughs> okay, I'll do this one together. All right, here we go. Oh, God. <laughs> Can't believe these jokes still crack me up. <laughs> All, right. All right. Cheers. Let's do it. All right. So <laughs> you've made it through. Oh, I just spat out my hot sauce. <laughs> so you made it through 60 minutes of hot questions. You made it all the way through. It's been a lot of fun. You're dying over there. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Um, uh, thanks for being such a good sport. If if people want to, uh, you know, listen into your journey, um, where's the best place for them to just figure out where, what you are going to be doing next? Because I know you have a bunch going on right now. Uh, LinkedIn, Aaron Spivak. Instagram, Aaron.Spivak. Uh, I'm on thread now, I guess. Hit me up there. Um, a newsletter I don't really promote. So if you follow me, yeah, I just never promote it, but it's got like 6,000 readers. I, the only way to get it is I post it in my story sometimes. So if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see it in the stories. Um, that's pretty much it. All right. And yep. anything cool coming up in the next little bit that we should be looking out um, for? We do these founders dinners. So if you hit me up on Insta or whatever, we invite you. We do 50 founders uh, doing a minimum 5 million bucks to 100 million bucks in 17 cities throughout the state. So we're doing speaking at Grow New York. We're doing a dinner that night. So if you're in New York, well, I probably won't see this by then. But if you do, we do dinners every month. If you want to hit us up. Um, we'd love to have some people out and it's all leading up. We've done 2000 founders in the last year and we're eventually going to move it into something called the founders club and Dude. actually have uh, a really strong community of, uh, of, of kick ass founders. And we're doing post Malone in Toronto for the founders club on July 20th. So totally free. We take care of it all. We just want to bring awesome oh people together. Uh, Let's talk. I, I'm doing a founders event uh, in seven days. We got about 45 founders coming out. They're all uh, seven to eight figures in revenue. They're, What's they're this not, in, uh, in Vancouver? In Vancouver, yeah. Is it um, a brand or SaaS or what? what is it? Everything? Uh, a, a lot of uh, B2B, B2B SaaS, B2C yeah. SaaS, and a little bit of D2C. Okay. Yeah. But uh, let's chat. But Hit me up. Aaron. Thank you so much for coming on and we'll Thank talk you. Later. Hey, hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. My mouth was burning on fire for about 30 minutes there. So I had to take a quick break before I recorded this, but I really just wanted to say thank you for tuning in. Most of us work at home nowadays and we're all just in our pajamas, in our t-shirts and in our hoodies. It just feels really fun and really light. And that's the kind of vibe that I'm trying to give. If there's anything that you want to add into the show, new segments or new topics to talk about, feel free to throw it into the comments below. Thank you so much again. Would not be here without your support. Until next time, peace out. Hope to see you soon.